0: Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, for those of you here for the first time, welcome, how are you? My name is Doug Nelms, I serve as one of our pastors here, and I am so glad that you decided to be part of our worship experience, corporate worship this morning. If you're online and you're here for the first time, welcome, we're so glad you're here. Light it up in the YouTube chats places, Somebody going to say hi, I'm saying hi here, but you can say hi in the YouTube chat, it's totally fine too. Uh, it's good to be with you, um, we got a bit of a fun thing to do today. So, uh, we just came out of our Mental Health Awareness Sundays, which, if you were here, were phenomenal. They were amazing. It was great. Um, everybody clapped. Is now going to therapy. That's what's awesome. Um, uh, but the next, this Sunday and the next time, we're going to take a bit of a conversation. It's a long conversation uh, about the word evangelism. And if you're new to the faith, what that means is sharing your faith, right? That's what we would say that. So, we want to take a look at what does it mean as the people of God to actually share our faith in the context that we live in. And so this Sunday and next Sunday, going to kind of dig into that a little bit. But before we go any further, I think we should pray. How do y'all feel about that? All into prayer. Holy Spirit, first, I want to say thank you for meeting your people. Lord, man, I'm so grateful that you keep your promise, that when your people come together and we lift up the name of King Jesus you are drawn to that place and you meet us encourage us minister to us and so I pray that continue in this moment as we continue to have a conversation this morning about one of the fundamental aspects of practicing the way of Jesus that you continue to meet us And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and all the people of God said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Brianna. So let me take a seat here. So I want to start this way. If you're a Christian, you want to lead people to Jesus. Yes? I think we can all agree on that. And I, I firmly believe that for several reasons. One, I have a deep belief in the Spirit of God inside of you that is living inside of you, animating you causing you to do his work and will in this world, and also the data bears that out. So there's that too. We have confirming things here. Uh, There was a recent study done in 2021 that says that 72% of Christians say that they want to share their faith with others. Uh, I forgot to do one thing, so forgive me for that. They're going to put it on the screen right now. If you want to, go ahead and scan that. We've got some sermon notes for you, particularly if you're online. Uh, Forgive me for forgetting that. That's on me. We're going to call that... Uh, I haven't taken my ADHD medication in a week and a half, because I'm out, so there's that. I forgot it. My bad. Uh, we'll go ahead and scan that right there while we get started. But in that, you'll see I put it for you there. There's a recent study done that 72% of Americans say they want to share their faith with others. Now, this is really beautiful, because it means there's a desire there, Right? That's something that you really can't change in people. That's what the Holy Spirit does, that he changes people's hearts and desires. That means that there is a desire there in the people of God to share their faith in this world. That's beautiful. And also, it's fundamental to what it means to even practice the way of Jesus. Like, the last thing that Jesus said before he left this earth was, go into all the world and make disciples. Not be them. Like, I think oftentimes we're like, oh, go be a disciple. That's not what he said. He said, go make disciples. So a fundamental aspect of what it even means to be a Christian, to practice the way of Jesus, is sharing our faith, is making disciples. Now, we love that. There's a deep desire in all of us, and I love that. But there's a problem, isn't it? We... Particularly if you grew up and, like, you're 28 years or older, we don't live in the world we grew up in anymore, do we? It's, it's very, very different, right? And it's wonderful in many ways, but there are certain aspects, particularly around our faith, that are very, very different, right? And we would live in what I would call a pluralistic, mildly to aggressively antagonistic culture towards Christianity. Right now, here's the good news. That's what most Christians grew up in throughout church history. So we were the oddity, right? Now's not odd. Now's actually quite normal compared to Christian history. So the like the '80s was was just a bubble. The '80s they were just a bubble. It was a wild time in the '80s. Um, It was just a bubble, man. And so there's a good news in that that we live in this culture that is more similar to what our Historical forefathers lived in, which is a pluralistic culture that is mildly to aggressively antagonistic towards our faith. And what this does, though, is that it causes us to feel a bit intimidated, doesn't it? It it rises up in us a bit of fear, doesn't it? Like, we feel intimidated because it seems like. None of our family or our friends or our neighbors or our coworkers are actually interested in being part of a church. And, and so when we think about the idea of sharing our faith, this deep sense of fear of rejection rises up in our soul, doesn't it? Like we we think that if we share our faith with someone that we know, we'll either be rejected individually with that person or We'll be rejected socially. So like if you, you know, you become the person that just shares their faith at work, nobody talks to you. That's what we fear, right? We, this re- social or individual rejection. You're not alone if you feel that. Um, I felt that. And also, the data bears that out. Right? In the same study that said that 72% of Americans want to share their faith, they gave the three top barriers that people cited to actually sharing their faith. And the first one is a fear of rejection. 62% of people who would say they're Christians are afraid to share their faith because of a fear of rejection. They also, the next one down, was not knowing how to share their faith. We're going to talk about that next week. The last one was not feeling confident in their faith. And This this just feels kind of wrong, doesn't it? And, And here's what I mean by that. So we have this deep desire inside of us to want to share our faith and lead people to Jesus. But all of us are wrestling with a deep fear of rejection and feeling intimidated because the the context around us has shifted so dramatically. And and, and it bothers me a lot because every Christian, every Christian should feel like they can play a part in the people in their lives coming to faith in Jesus. Jesus. Every Christian should have that joy. Every Christian should know that they can participate actively in people coming to faith. It's what it means to practice the way of Jesus. Because of a fear of rejection, because of all these different things, it keeps us from it. And look, I know exactly how that feels, okay? Okay. And, like, I know I'm the evangelism guy here. If you've been around here any time, they're like, oh, he'll talk to anybody about Jesus. And that's true. Let's be very clear. For any reason, good or bad, I will talk to somebody about Jesus. But I, I wasn't always that way, man. Like, I, I've never actually told this story publicly. Um, so, except for last service, I guess. Um, so, you know, Internet, whatever. Um, but there's a, deep, there's, a deep, there's a moment in my life that something shifted. Um, When I was in high school, I had a friend named Josh. What's up, buddy, if you're here for this one? I love you. Um, And I went to a really small school. And so, like, I graduated with, like, 11 other people. So you either had the option of being friends with people or enemies. There was no benign relationships, right? You either loved them or you hated them. Nothing in between. And so Josh came to school one day, and he had this this deep sense of shame and guilt he's dealing with for some things that had gone on in his life. And so he went to his friends for comfort, encouragement. And I'm a pastor's kid. And everybody knows I'm a pastor's kid. And so I can see the Jesus conversation coming. I can see it. Like, it's been telegraphed. And everybody's eyes are going to turn to the pastor's kid and be like, you know the whole Bible, don't you? I was 12. 12 It's very clear. But I know it's coming. And like everybody else, I felt this deep sense of intimidation and fear that my friends are going to reject me if I'm honest about Jesus. Despite the fact that they're coming to me for a reason, I feel afraid. And so inevitably, just as I predicted, just as I could see being telegraphed, it came right to me. And Josh looks at me and says, well, what do you think, man? And I punted. Like, punted in the worst way possible, right? I was 12. I, did, I didn't have, like, any sense of how to deal with this fear, insecurity, and projection. And so instead of just even benignly going, ah, everything's fine, I pull up the scriptures in the back of my head that have to deal with sin and condemnation, and I, agree, and I sarcastically reference them to him. And the look in his eyes, man, I will, I will never forget to this day. And then the deep sense of shame came over me. And not, like, not just because like, I punted on the Jesus thing. Like, yeah, sure, okay. My friend was looking for comfort and joy and care, and I punted on the thing that could have given it to him. That's why I felt shame. And that day, it it fundamentally, I didn't know it at the time, but it fundamentally changed my life. Like, I, I began a journey, a long one, of really addressing my own weakness. Why was I afraid? I really began to address the issues of like, why do I get afraid and I lash out as opposed to just welcoming in people? Why am I ashamed of the fact that Jesus saved me at nine years old? And there's something that I discovered on this path. That, and shocker, everything we need to share our faith has already been given to us in the Spirit of God in the Bible. Who knew? That everything we actually need to fulfill the desire that is in the vast majority of us to lead someone to Jesus has already been given to you, and it's right here in the Spirit of God that is inside of you and the Scriptures themselves. And so what I want to do today is I want to just look at one quick scene in the Bible, and I want us to ask three questions of ourselves, right? So next week, we're going to do some hyper-practical things about how to effectively do this. But we can't go there until we really begin to question our own hearts and really begin to examine our own motivations. And so today I just want to look at a quick three, four verses and then ask of those verses, ask of us from those verses, just three quick questions. So if you would, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today, verse 17. It's in your Bible app event. If you've got a Bible, Luke chapter 5. Uh, and it's a quick story about, again, three or four verses. You got it? You good? You ready? All right. Verse 17. It says, one day while Jesus was teaching... Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strong or strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because the crowd was so big. So they went up to the roof and they took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down to the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, I love this story for many different reasons, several we're going to get into in just a second, but one of them has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today, but I find it funny and so I want to share it. Did you catch Luke's shade to the Pharisees? They always showing up everywhere he's at. Like, everybody knows if you're reading the Gospels, right, that the Pharisees are like the sub villains of the narrative. But he's like, I just, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Everywhere we go, they hear, right? It's not important. I just find it funny that he wrote that in there. But looking at this thing, uh, looking at this text and this, this story, the, the first question I want to ask us is this Do we actually believe? Jesus saves people. Do we actually believe that Jesus saves people? And I want to be specific about that. Do we actually, at our core, believe that Jesus is loving enough, strong enough, and kind enough that when someone meets him, no matter their circumstances or story, he can save them do we actually believe it like these friends believed it i mean i mean look at this story man you have friends of a sick person they have clearly heard that jesus is out here healing people and based upon their faith and what they believe about jesus they grab their friend and go through all these circumstances just to get him to jesus And we know that because look at what Jesus says when this man shows up. He says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven, young man. Don't don't miss don't miss the language here. Seeing their, the four friends, faith, in Jesus to heal people. He looks at the man who needs healing and goes, your sins are forgiven. Now, I have read a significant number of commentaries on this with a significant number of different interpretations based upon your Christian Orthodox tradition. I ain't about to give you all the differences because it ain't important today. There is one thing they all agree upon, though, that in some manner, we as people who believe in Jesus can so believe in him and trust in him and have faith in him that it moves his heart towards other people. That we as the people of God can have such faith and trust and love and belief in Jesus and his ability to heal and his ability to save that he will move on the heart of someone who doesn't even seem to be asking for it. I don't understand the complexities of that. If you want more into it, I can recommend a commentary. All I'm here to tell you is that from this and from several other places in the Bible, God's people can move his heart towards other people. Do we actually believe that Jesus can save people and we can participate in that? Do we actually believe that Jesus is that loving, that strong, and that kind that when we bring someone before him, we can move his heart to act on their behalf? And here's what I find interesting about this. No one was showing up for salvation. That's not why they were there. They were there Because Jesus was healing people, and they said, my friend's sick, and so I just got to get him to where the healing's happening, and so they got him to the place where Jesus was at. Like, and as I thought about this, like, it's like how it would apply to us, I thought about our corporate worship and our small groups, and and here's why I say that. We specifically do hear, like, needs-based sermons and series and needs-based small groups, like, because we believe that the Bible... And the people of God are where we go to be healed, right? We've all experienced that as the people of God. And so we're like, let's do this because we believe if people engage in the words of God, engage Jesus, engage in the principles of the Bible, they can experience healing and wholeness. And so, do we actually believe that the church, your church, is a place of healing? Do we actually, for our friends who we know are wrestling in their marriage, struggling, that if we can get them to the people of God, that's the best place for them to be? That they can be healed and made whole? Do we believe that those who are struggling with parenting and got kids who are wiling out and don't know what to do, that if we can get them to the people of God, that Jesus can make them whole? Do we actually believe that the church, that our church, is a place of healing? And look, I'm not saying the church is Jesus. I'm saying that's where he's predictably found. Right? Jesus likes being among his people. And so, if the church, if we believe that the church, our church, is a place of healing and wholeness, and we've got people we know who are suffering, why would we not try to get them to the people of God? Because that's where Jesus is healing people. And the process, what has happened? He just saves him, he just looks at him and says, Your sins are forgiven. Like, here's a great question, because it's something that applies to us all right now. Do we believe that the church, that your church, is God's answer for loneliness in this world? Because loneliness is a stated epidemic amongst our people, amongst our country, amongst our city. Do you believe that? Because if we do we will then invite those we love to be part because we know that the healing power of Jesus is present among his people. Do we believe that Jesus actually saves people and that we get a chance to participate in it? That's the first question. second question I want to ask is this. Do we actually love people I know, it's con- I know, I know. Everybody comes here, they see the short dude with the flower shirts, and they're like, it's going to be happy the whole time because I'm loud, and I'm energetic, and yada, yada. It's, I know, it happens every time. Do we actually love people? Now, and here's what I mean by that. One of the most important things you can ask when you're, when you're reading the scriptures is to try to understand the context of the narrative of the story of the things going on in it, Okay. So let, let's try to put ourselves in this scene. So we have four people, four men, because the Bible doesn't actually tell us that they're friends, right? I, I said that. We have four men who are go, bringing in basically a blanket, like a, a thin blanket, a man to Jesus from an undetermined distance. And we know it's an undetermined distance because we're like, oh God, there's so many people here. So which means they didn't live next door, right? Right? And they get there and they see all these people and they can't get to Jesus. And so instead of going, well, you know, I just, we couldn't make it. Sorry, bro. It's, it's busy. It's like a Taylor Swift concert. We're not getting in, right? It's just not going to happen. They go on top of the house and start tearing up another man's house. And I know it's another man's house that they don't know. Because if they knew the man, they could have got backstage passes. Like you, if you know the owner of the venue, you ain't got to like go through the roof. You just get backstage passes. And like, imagine that scene. Like, so, it, Back in those days, they used to build houses in like the Roman era with like giant clay tiles on top. Like if you go read the other version of this, and like Mark, it says they dug, whatever. Giant clay tiles, however... And these dudes start dragging giant clay tiles off the roof of another man's house. Imagine being in the house. Imagine being Jesus. You're sitting there trying to preach, teach people, love people, and you hear, ah! <laughs> And like a beam of light just hits you on the inside. And in my imagination, this very long perfect comedic scene unfolds before them. Because it didn't happen in just a second. It took a minute. And everybody's like, what is going on? Can somebody stop them, please? And then I imagine like the light shining in everyone's faces and what cuts through the light is a paralyzed man that's being lowered into the ceiling in front of Jesus. Now, There are two options for the motivation of those four men who did that. Either they believed in Jesus' healing so much and they voyeuristically wanted to see it happen, they went and found a paralyzed man they don't know and brought him to Jesus. Or they knew him and loved him. Based upon Jesus' answer and based upon the fact that they would not be deterred because they committed vandalism... I think it was a ladder. I think they knew him, and I think they loved him. Do we love people like that? And I want to be specific. Do we love people who are far from God like that? Do we have people in our lives who don't follow Jesus, that when they hurt, we hurt, That when they rejoice, we rejoice. Do we love people who are far from God in that way? That nothing, nothing will deter us from getting them into the healing presence of Jesus. Like, I actually think this is the greatest hurdle of our motivations than actually believing Jesus can save people because we're all saved and we know our own story and we know Jesus can save people. I actually don't think we don't love enough. And look, I, look, I get it, man. Like, the, the tendency of life is to be tribal, right? Because it's easy. You don't have to deal with the friction of different ideas. You don't have to deal with the friction of this and that. It's just easy to find people just like you and be around them. Like, I totally get it. And look, I'm not saying that's even all bad. Like the people of God are a gift to the people of God. Right? I love y'all. Y'all are amazing. But if that's where your relational circle stops, if that's the only people you love, I get why you're afraid. I get why I'm afraid. Because love destroys fear. That's literally out of the mouth of Jesus. Perfect love casts out all fear. So perhaps the hurdle that you have to experiencing or sharing your faith with someone is that you don't love people enough. I know it was me. Like, if I'm being honest, that was part of the reason that I didn't, I was not able to overcome my fear of rejection with my friend. I didn't love him enough. Love destroys fear. But here's the thing. If you're examining your own life right now, you're like, okay, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't love people who are far from God enough. I've got great news. God's already put them in your life. You don't have to go looking far, Right? We just said at the top that we live in a pluralistic, mildly to aggressively antagonistic culture, which means that most places you go outside of the covenant renewal of the people of God, you're with people who don't follow Jesus. Your coworkers probably don't follow Jesus, all of them. Your neighbors, your college friends, for me, me and my family, it's our kids' sports leagues because that is like a part-time job. And you just make choices. I choose to love you more and better. I choose to be the kindest, most loving, most generous person here because that's who Jesus is for me, and that's how Jesus feels about you. The good news is you have everything you need. You have every relationship you already need. That's right, I hear you, girl. That made her happy. I'm happy about that. (laughs) Like, do we love people enough? Do we love people who are far from God like these men did? Second question. Third one's this. Are our eyes opened to where the God is at work around us? So I chose, this story shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? All three of them. But I chose this specific version of it because of a particular line that Luke wrote that fascinates me and interests me. It's in verse 17. He says, the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. And here's why I find that interesting. We as Christians believe that Jesus is creator God among us. Right? So all the healing power, creative power, miracle working power of God, creator God, is with Jesus. That's an assumption that we have. It's assumed that Jesus heals people. But Luke made mention of it right then and there. He wanted us to know that Jesus was healing people then. He wanted us to know that Jesus was doing miracles working in people's lives right then and right there which should tell us some things that there are certain times and certain places that God is at work we just aren't quite aware of it yet like, like there's two specific things in related to this that have become really real to me as I have continued to practice the way of Jesus over my life. The first one is this. God is at work when I'm not around. Shocker, right? It was to me. I thought I was carrying the Holy Spirit to the world by myself, right? But he's constantly working all the time without me. In fact, he don't even ask my permission. Now, I love that because that means he's at work in the people in my life when I'm not even around. Like, it's this thing that, it's, again, it just mirrors all of the Christian life. We're never first. When you are sharing your faith with someone, when you are engaging someone, inviting them to be part of the people of God, You're never first. Even if it's the first time they've ever heard the gospel, you are not their first engagement with God. Like, I've never heard a story anywhere, even going to the missionaries who are going to remote tribes that are disconnected from the rest of the world, I've never heard anywhere where anyone said, I never had any engagement with God before you. Even in like remote tribes, they're like, oh yeah, he told us you were coming. Who's he? Yeah, the guy you're talking about. Go read these stories. It's amazing. God is at work in all of the relationships in your life already. He's asking you to join him. Which gives me great joy and hope that I don't have to make anything up. I'm not breaking new ground. Jesus is working. And the second thing I find interesting, or that has been, sorry, that has been made really real to me over these years is that on a macro level, it seems that God and the, like the Spirit of God decides to do certain things at certain times in an uncommon way in places among a group of people. Like if you look through Christian history, we call these things like revivals or something renewals it's where like the efforts of god's people are like exponentially magnified for no apparent reason other than god decided to do something and like droves of people just coming to faith droves of people just getting healed and so god seems to be doing both of those things at the same time the question is are we aware of those things and i want to give you a really normal unexceptional example okay so go to work, all of us hopefully. And you have conversations with the coworkers, be they through Zoom because you're remote or hybrid or face-to-face, whatever it looks like for you. And inevitably, you start having conversations not about work because no one wants to talk about work at work. And I get that, right? Wonderful. Have a great time. And inevitably the question of the weekend comes up. Right? And what do you you commonly hear things like this? What do you do this weekend? Oh, you know, um binge Netflix and drink red wine. Or sorry, grilled meat and drink bourbon, right? Whatever. Or or if they got kids, madison lead a house, I just try to keep them from destroying it. Right? Cool. Awesome. And we hear that, and that's great. We're like, oh okay, cool. We you know, passive conversation, small talk. And then small group season comes around. And we're like, hey, we say this every single time. Hey guys. This is a great place to make friends. None of us need to do life alone. We need community. We need family. And be a part of a small group. Invite your friends and relationships to be part of a small group. And we go, I don't know anybody struggling with loneliness. (laughs) Except our coworkers have told us repeatedly they're home alone every weekend. They're just at the house drinking by themselves. That ain't ain't, ain't good, man. That ain't good. People tell people information for a reason. Like, if someone's sharing with you that they're all alone every single weekend, as people who are constantly looking for where God is at working, that is a great opportunity to say, hey, it sounds like you're hanging out by yourself. I have a great group of friends. I'd love for you to come hang out with us. Like, God is at work all around us. We're just not aware of it. Our eyes aren't often opened to the places that he's at and the opportunities that he's putting right in front of us. Because we're looking for someone to go, I am lonely and looking for a church. (laughs) Oh, okay. That rarely ever happens, man. I have been considering spiritual things and want to explore Jesus. That's, That's how that goes, bro. But people are constantly telling us about themselves in a very normal way of living. And here's the thing. We have the answer to the thing they're telling us. We have it. There is healing, community, and wholeness with Jesus and his people. So if someone's telling you, I'm drinking by myself every weekend, it sounds like they want friends who will love them, care for them, engage them, be with them. All we have to do is keep our eyes open to it, to what God is doing all around us. Are we aware of where God is at work right in front of us? These are the three questions I want us to ask. Let's review them real quick. Do we actually believe Jesus saves people, and we get to participate. Do we actually love people who are far from God? And are we aware to where he is working all around us? Now, here's the thing. As we wrap up, I want to challenge you right now. We normally just invite, I'm going to challenge if you want to be a person who leads people to Jesus, if you want that, right, deep down in your heart, I want this for my life. I want to challenge you to invite someone to come to worship with you or join a small group with you this week. Not next week. Look, you can invite them this week. If you're going to do it for worship, invite them this week when you're going to be here in three weeks. It is what it is. Uh, we, ex- we accept the reality we are in, right? Um, invite them this week to worship with you Or join a small group with you. Look, we we take this so seriously. We send everyone a text every single week that is literally copy and paste for inviting people. It's copy and paste. Just insert name. Because we know that relationships in your life are actually looking for something. We know because not only does the Bible tell us that, because the world is telling us that. The data is telling us that. They're looking for something more. So I'm challenging you. Invite someone to worship with you or be in a small group with you this week. Now, I felt the anxiety come over the room when I said that. They're like, oh, God, he's going to ask us to do things. Yes, I am. However, if that really does feel like too high a hurdle. Like you would say, I haven't invested enough in the relationships around my life. I, I just don't know if I can. And Here's what I want you to do. Every day this week, twice a day, I want you to pray for someone in your life by name to meet Jesus. Every day, twice a day. Pray for someone by name in your life to meet Jesus. Because here's what I guarantee you will happen. I guarantee you the love that you want for them will start to bubble up inside of you. When you actually begin to pray for someone, love for them begins to just explode out of you for them. And then all of the fear that you have about asking them will be so small compared to the love God has given you for them. So every day, this week, twice a day, for seven days, Pray for one person by name to meet Jesus. Like, here's what I know. I, I have got to experience the joy of this. Sorry. The joy of this more than I have a right to. There, there is a joy that you get to experience when you know that you were a part of someone else's eternal story. Like, Think about it this way. There are a lot of things as Christians that we should do in this world that matter. But when we get to the new earth, what you did for that person will still be there. They will see you, bump into you whilst surfing in the best place ever. You. You're you're who God used to get me here It never goes away It's a joy that never ends Because God Is inviting you to experience The greatest miracle That we could ever perceive Which is the resurrection of a dead soul Do you want to experience miracles in your life? That's the best one. The resurrection of a dead soul. And God is inviting you into it. And look, here's what I know, man. Like, if you don't, if you decide not to do this, because the choice is yours, obviously, right? There's just so much joy you're gonna be missing out on. You, like, you can go through your entire walk with Jesus. And never get to experience a little taste of that eternal joy that is yours. Oh, but if you do. If you do. You will get to experience over and over and over again. Heaven meeting earth in someone's life like the joy of the new heavens and the new earth in a moment, in a conversation, and it is intoxicating. Not in some voyeuristic, problematic way, but because the people you love, you will get to love forever. And they will get to experience a full, forever life, and you got to be part of it. That is what I pray we get to experience. That is what I hope we get. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, God, I want to start, I think, with just gratitude. You could have just went out into the world and saved everyone by yourself, but you desire your people to experience joy. You invite your kids to come be part of your work. So thank you. Thank you that we get to be part of this. Father, I I pray for us right now, Lord God, that we continue to do the hard work of confronting the things inside of us as we practice the way of Jesus the hard work of looking at our own fear, looking at our own inadequacies, so that the people in our lives we love get to experience a full and forever life. Father, be with us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.